skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scaly skeletons speak with such a screech that you'll shake and shudder. Like what kind of dialogue? Any kind of dialogue. Enough dialogue to cover an opening segment. Enough dialogue to test it in your head. But I already shaved two sides. You really think I need to shave the rest? You need to shave the third. The underside. Your undercarriage. Test the queen. Your mossy. Your mossy bank. <laughs> My mossy fucking bank. Oh. I tell you where I'd like. Hey, it's pretty mossy. I'll say, I'll say that much. It doesn't make a, it doesn't make summers any easier. But it's a great place to put your money. <laughs> the first national bank oh. of Moss. Hey everyone. <laughs> this hey. is this is lots of pasta. First episode recording. Uh, I'm I'm your host, Captain Death here. With uh, with my first guest, what uh, what name do you want to go by? First guest. Hey, my name is Frowns McBoohoo. Frowns McBoohoo here, everyone. <laughs> oh man, so uh, it's it's no hidden fact that I'm a, a big fan of last podcast on the left, but there's just one thing that I'm not really like in tune with them on like every single episode, like. I'm really into, like, their scarier monster-related stuff. Like, I don't care about serial killers as much and hearing, like, four episodes on serial killers. But that's just me. I still love them to death. And I love these certain kinds of episodes, and that's the kind of episode that we're doing right now, which I want to focus on, is the world of creepypastas. For, for the uninitiated, creepypastas are basically the world of online scary storytelling because we don't really get books like that anymore it's a very kind of like genre specific thing and it doesn't really happen anymore and i feel like you know after uh are you afraid of the dark and goosebumps we kind of just fell off yeah. the fucking wagon so um the internet wonderful invention here we are uh, we're just gonna start telling some spooky spaghetti, some some creepy pastas, and that's why it's called Lost Lost Pastas. <laughs> oh. I don't know about you, but I only eat my pastas if they last. If they're lotsas. Oh fuck! And another thing about this podcast that I'm gonna borrow from last podcast on the left is it is better to listen to this. If you're not sober, whether that's some baba ganoush or if you're drunk off of sangria. Or if you're vegetarian, the devil's lettuce. The devil's lettuce. Creepypastas. Or if you're vegetarian, lettuce pasta. <laughs> so the first story I'm going to read is called Hands. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, you can, you like those. Those are good. This is how you this is how you touch yourself at night. Oh, <laughs> just like that. That's the noise you make. That's the noise you make at night when your hands <coughs> your hands my hands hey hands all right. The worst thing I've ever done in my life 
happened about 12 years ago. When I was 16 years old, kid living in Cleveland, Ohio, it was the early fall when leaves were just starting to turn orange and the temperatures were starting to fall, hinting at the freezing chill that was only a few months away. School had just started, but it had been going on for about a month now, so all the excitement of going back and reuniting with old friends had been replaced by the realization that we were captives in a place that only wanted to load work upon us. That's school. Fuck school. They only want to load work upon us. I didn't even understand the thing you said so far. Understandably, me and my friends were all eager to do anything that might remind us of the worry-free, responsibility-free days of summer. Earlier that year, about the time the last school year had let out, one of my friends from work, McDonald's, which some people think is lame, but I always had a great time there. I fucking, fucking stole all the fucking fries. <laughs> Taught me a technique to make yourself pass out with the help of an assistant. It worked something like this. One person would rapidly take ten deep, heavy breaths, and on the tenth, squeeze his eyes shut and hold his breath as tightly as possible while crossing his wrists over his heart. The assistant would then give the person a huge bear hug from behind and squeeze the person's wrists into his breastbone. Within seconds, the person holding their breath would lose consciousness. The assistant was then in a perfect position to make sure you didn't totally collapse and crack your skull open on the sidewalk. The effect only lasted for like a second or two. It wasn't like we were putting ourselves into comas or anything, but it felt like you had been out for hours. And when you came to, the disoriented feeling of not knowing where the hell you were and what you were doing there was awesome. So these kids didn't have drugs. They didn't have any drugs. They fucking knocked each other out because they didn't have an escape from their problems. You know, if, you, uh, if, you, if you're a kid and you don't got drugs, you're doing it wrong, man. Exactly. Well, they're knocking each other the fuck out in order to feel something. Yeah. yeah. Kids, just pill for your fucking parents' liquor. That's always the thing. That's what you do. Uh, yeah, I mean, unless your parents locked it like mine. So. Now, I know some people are like, WTF, are you a fucking retard? And yeah, I know, we were probably killing about a million brain cells each time we would knock ourselves out. And I think probably my memory has suffered for it. But to a bored-as-hell 16-year-old, I thought it was hella cool. <laughs> All the effect of getting your lights punched out, with none of the pain of getting hit in the face, I'd tell you to try it to see for yourself, but after what happened, I would never recommend it to anyone. One interesting side effect of doing this, which was really most of the reason we did it, was that while you were out, you'd have extremely lucid vivid dreams, which you could always recall upon waking. After all, you were only asleep for two seconds. We were good kids and had never, and would never, try drugs. So to us, this was like a poor man's LSD. Lame. And a poor man's LSD it is. <laughs> These visions in some way were usually related to what you were looking at right before you passed out. For example, once I dreamed that I was climbing a mountain way up in the Himalayas or something, but there was a handrail there. Who the hell puts handrails at 20,000 feet? When I came to and remembered where I was, I realized I had been looking at the staircase at one of my corner of my girlfriend's living room. Another time, I had a vision of Fred Flintstone smiling and holding out his hand in front of a mural with the D.A.R.E. logo. That's drug abuse, resistance, education. They're trying to fucking... They're trying to convert us. Oh, right man, now. that would scare the fuck out of me. 
A program cops teach in public schools. You've probably seen the bumper stickers. Yeah, I fucking dare. I, I am. I am dare. That is who I am. I live by the code. Drugs are really easy. <laughs> oh fuck! That's the dare uh, I live by. Illuminati. I, I woke <laughs> six six six. I woke up and saw that my friend Brett had been standing in front of me right before I slipped into dreamland, and my friend was Fred Flintstone. Illuminati. <laughs> oh, okay. And that logo was on his shirt. Yeah, he was wearing a f- fucking Fred Flintstone shirt. What a f- fucking loser. Oh, the visions were always mundane things like those. Always. Until that one day. Like I said, school had been going on for about a month, and we were already sick of it. We were hanging out one Saturday in the field, which was really an ease- an easement? Speakeasy. An easement for the electric company to run their high-voltage lines. A few of us were sitting on the metal beams at the bottom of, of one of the towers. My friend Mike was climbing up to the second tier of beams so he could jump to the eight or ten feet to the ground. I thought it was stupid, but hey, I'm the guy who thought it was cool to induce unconsciousness by starving my brain of oxygen. Mm -hmm. It was a warm day for October, but the light gray of the sky was slowly getting darker, and in Cleveland in October, that probably meant that before long the temperature would soon drop from a comfortable 70 to about 50 in the course of a few minutes. And if we were really unlucky, an ice-cold rain would start to fall. The air was already damp and heavy, and we could hear the quiet buzzing of the high-tension wires above us. I sure as hell didn't want to spend the last few months of a pleasant Saturday afternoon watching this dumbass climb partway up the high-tension tower, jump down, complain about how that one killed his feet, only to jump, climb up and do the same stupid thing over again. His friend's a dodo bird. Or a lemming. Uh, hey, you're, you're... let's make ourselves pass out, I said. By that time, it wasn't as much fun, and it had already been the early summer when we first discovered it, but was a, it was a hell of a lot better than what we were doing. Vince was up for it, so was Richard, but Mike, the guy jumping off the tower, said, What the fuck are you talking about? Holy crap, you haven't been knocked out before? Vince asked. No, was the response. Mike had been at his mom's house all summer, so he hadn't been in on all the fun we had been having. Dude, you gotta try this. Watch, we'll show you. Vince and I got off the tower, stood in the grass at the center, and I did the customary ten deep breaths. I squeezed my eyes shut and held my breath so hard that if they hadn't been shut, they'd probably popped out of my head. Then I, I felt my friend clamp down on my arms in front of my chest, and suddenly, as if there was nothing more natural in the world, there was a giant lobster climbing around a lobster cage. And I was under the ocean with seaweed growing from the sandy bottom under my feet. They're about to have gay sex. His lobster, a so sandy he, bottom. he mentally displaces himself in order to avoid the, the butt sex. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, you clearly... Clearly, you know, you can see it through the progression. The next thing the I remember... lobster and his sandy bottom. <laughs> You're not wrong, though. You mossy bank, let's go. <laughs> the next thing I remember, I was awake, and Vince and Richard were asking me, Dude, what did you see? What did you dream? The back of my head was killing me. Fuck, did you let me fall? I wasn't really that heavy, but Vince was pretty weak. He just stood there looking guilty, and Richard told me he had. What did you see, though? He asked. I rubbed my head and said it was a lobster. It was pinching Vince's head off with its claws. I turned to Mike, watching from the L-shaped beams above, and said, See, it's fucking awesome. 
Whatever, I don't trust any of you enough to do that shit to me. Come on, man. You gotta try it. Peer pressure. They're talking about his dick still. Probably. It's no more dangerous than what you're doing now. I promise I won't let you fall like this bitch did. He squinted in the way people do when they're trying to decide if what they're thinking of doing is worth the risk or trouble. He jumped down one last time, got up, and said, fine, once. If only he would have thought a little bit longer, or just flatly refused. He repeated the ten deep, deep breaths with me as the assistant to make sure he didn't fall. He held his breath and I helped him slip into the other place. Oh, oh no, he has sandy bottom. <laughs> it's something I've regretted ever since that. And when I think back on all the things I wish I had done differently in my teenage years, girls I should have tried for, classes I should have tried harder in, all the things I should and shouldn't have done, putting him in that bear hug and squeezing him into unconsciousness is the thing I most regret. I felt the dead weight shift from his feet onto my chest and he was a pretty big guy, but I made sure to let him down easy and not knock his head against the hard packed earth. Just as I laid him on the grass, he came back. He woke up screaming, fuck, holy fuck, get away, get away, get away. He screamed as he leaped up to his feet and flailed his arms around his head. We all jumped back, afraid of being hit in his frenzy, but more afraid, so scared we almost shit our pants of what we were seeing. After about five seconds, which is about twice the time it normally takes a person to realize where they're at and remember what they were doing, he slowed down. Shit. Shit. Holy shit. He was breathing heavily, gasping, deep breaths, and hunched over at the corner of the tower. It's a wonder that in his maddened state he hadn't run right into the, supper, the supports and knocked himself out for real. But he just stood there, bent over at the waist, then fell to his knees. With his back turned to us, he started rocking and wringing his hands and muttering to himself. Holy mother of fuck, said Vince. What the hell did you see? But Mike didn't answer. We approached him slowly and we drew near. We could hear him quietly sobbing. <laughs> In our macho world, that was normally a crime punishable by death. We fucking kill you for tears. But at the time of at Trump the time of course <laughs> at the time of course we didn't say a word. I reached out a hand to his shoulder, but as soon as I touched him, a touch so tentative and light that he shouldn't have even been able to feel it, he shrieked and jumped away, clanging his back oh, into the corner of the tower. Some he, gay sex, man. He, pre he, he took it like a rape. Rape, rape, rape. He pressed up hard against it, staring at, staring at us with a look of terror in his eyes. So real, you think we were demons from the pit of hell. If ever in those few moments I thought he was putting on to fuck with us, the look put all of our doubts to rest. That and what happened afterwards, of course. Can you feel the love tonight? Between all these young boys. None of us said anything, but after about ten minutes, Mike had calmed down enough that Richard was able to coax him to his feet and lead him back to the house. As I had suspected, the temperatures had fallen like crazy in just a few minutes, and just as I figured it would, the freezing cold drizzle started to fall. I and my nipples got hot. I told Vince I was just gonna go home <coughs> and I'd see him tomorrow. We always spent the evenings and rainy days playing Mortal Kombat on our SNES, <gasps> but he didn't object. I think he probably wanted some time alone to reflect on what horrible thing we had done to our friend, just like I did. <laughs> the next day, I went to see how Mike was doing, but he and his dad were gone the whole day. I asked him later where he went, but he wouldn't tell me. 
I think it must have been it must have been to the psychiatrist because by Tuesday the next time I saw him he seemed to be better if a little zoned out I figure he got some drugs to calm his nerves but that's just a guess from me the guy who never does drugs wears dare on everything oh yeah I never power. really found out over the next few days the four of us hung out and while Mike was quiet he didn't say anything about what happened we just talked about stupid, unimportant stuff, like girls we liked, classes at school we hated. I wish we had, had said something to him now, though I don't know if it really would have helped. We had no idea what we were <coughs> facing, and to this day I still have no clue. But we avoid the subject of what, we, of what happened that Saturday and practice of passing it out in general like it was the plague. It wasn't until the following Saturday that he said anything related to what was happening to him. We were walking down the quiet street of our neighborhood towards the wooden footbridge that crosses the creek that runs between the houses separating development into two halves. I was going on about this hot girl who was a grade above me and who consequently wouldn't give me the time of day, and he, staring at the ground, walked on with his hands in his pockets. Suddenly, out of nowhere, and right in the middle of one of my sentences, he says, I won't be around much longer. Huh? They'll be coming again tonight, and I don't think I'll be able to keep them out this time. Hey. Hey, what are you talking about? Who's coming tonight? Me. The hands. <laughs> the voice. At this point, I was like, holy shit. I could feel my breathing getting quick and, and shallow, and I felt my face and hands get hot to hear him talk so matter-of-factly about some horror that I couldn't even imagine. <coughs> but I'll never forget that conversation. It's etched into my mind like stone tablets in the Ten Commandments. I stammered a few times and then stupidly said, What hands? At night, I look at the tree out my window, then it goes black, and the hands, dozens, a hundred of them, push in against the glass. It's like that hole Jennifer Connelly fell in in Labyrinth. Yes. It's like, like the pit of rapey hands. Like throwing a hot dog down. David a Bowie is behind all of this. Illuminati confirmed. Six six six. And what do you do? I push back all night, but I'm tired. I can't keep them out anymore. And the voices say I have to let them in. Little kid voices and little kid hands. <laughs> he lowered his voice to a whisper, but I could tell in what he said next that he was struggling to keep the panic at bay. Sometimes. I see their faces, he said in a trembling voice. We had come to the walkway up to his house. He stopped and finally lifted his face to me. Tell Vince he can have my Super Nintendo. He doesn't have one, and his mom sure as hell won't buy him one. Richard can have my CDs. I know you guys don't like rap, but he does. I started to say something, but he turned and walked up to his house. He went inside and closed the door. How I wish I would have went up and knocked. Told him I would have stayed the night, but we were 16, and at that age, guys didn't do that anymore. I'm sorry. I was sleeping in your house till I was fucking 18. Are we even reading creepypasta or softcore fanfiction? It's treats. It's, it's debatable whether or not this is like a midnight rape. No, I'm pretty sure that it's obvious that this is a midnight rape. And yes, you have been sleeping at my house since... You slept over at my house when I was... 23. Okay, yeah, that's actually true. Homies before. Homies. Yes, totally. So I just went home. I didn't even answer the door for Vince when he came over later. 
When I went to bed, I didn't sleep well, and it w I was constantly listening to every creak and groan that the house made, listening for the voices of a multitude of children. I normally slept with the curtains open, but tonight I closed them tight. The next day, we learned someone had broken into Mike's house. A police car was there in his driveway, and I about shit a brick when I saw it later. Later, my worst fears were confirmed when I learned that it was Mike's bedroom window that had been broken into. He was missing, was all they told us. The cops asked all three of us a ton of questions, and people from the Center for Missing and Exploited Children came and asked us more. I'm sure I looked as guilty as shit, but when I said I didn't know what happened, it was, after all, halfway true. They were looking for some pervert that had abducted Mike, so no matter how hard they grilled me, they couldn't get any information relating to that, of course, so finally they gave up. He was on a milk carton and missing children TV shows, but to this day, he is still an unsolved case. After it was all over, I went to the library to research what the fuck happened because in those days, while the internet was a research tool, it was only for rocket scientists or people who could afford a $5,000 computer. I didn't find much. The closest thing that I could think is related to is something I only discovered later in my junior class on world history. Apparently, Egyptian priests used to seal themselves in coffins for just long enough a time to almost die. They would then be resuscitated so they could relate the things they saw in the netherworld while dead to the other priests. I can only figure that perhaps the electricity in the air or the weather made Mike go under deeper than we ever had and gave him an experience something like what the Egyptian priests had. But Vince knocked me out too, in almost the same spot where Mike was standing when I did it to him. Could he have just been more receptive to the call of the other place? Or had knocking my head on the ground somehow jostled me free of their hold? I don't know, and I don't think I ever will. But sometimes, it still makes me shiver. Oh, man. So that was Hands. Indeed. What did you... What did you think of Hands, frowns McBoohoo? You know, I only really like two hands, anything more, it's too much of a party, and there was a lot of hands in there. I also think that, uh, why, like, lose breath and run out of breath and try to kill yourself? Just just go for the drugs, you know? No, just go masturbate. That's just go home and masturbate. Too many hands. No, that's just enough. That's one, one or two hands. But one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Yeah. Two, two. But two could be as bad as one. But three is really good for me. But three's company. But, three's company too. <laughs> but I really think that, like, in any in any fucking situation, do the drugs. Absolutely. Do not do not jump off of things to feel thrills when you've been contemplating just smoking a joint. Mm. I'm not. I'm not going to preach it. But hallelujah. Why don't you tell me what kind of voice I'm going to be doing this in? No, you have to come up. It's called A Story to Scare My Son. So what voice do you think A Story to Scare My Son would have? I'm going to be a papa. All right, be a papa. Son, we need to have a chat about internet safety. I slowly crumbled down to the floor next to him. His laptop was open and he was playing Minecraft. <laughs> Minecraft. Oh, no, mean, mean, yes. 
on a public server. His eyes were locked into action. Comments scrolled down the side of the screen in a chat box. Uninstall. Kill yourself. Oh, sorry. Wrong story. So, can you stop your game for a minute? He exited the world, closed the laptop, and looked at me. Dad, is this going to be another cheesy, scary story related to amnesia? <laughs> what? I faked my hurt feelings for a second and then grinned at him. I thought you liked my cautionary tales. You grew up listening to my stories about children who encountered witches, ghosts, werewolves, pedophiles, and trolls. Like many generations of parents, I used scary stories to reinforce morals and teach lessons about safety. Dad of the Year. What? Dad of the Year. Oh. My dad made me watch so many scary things as a kid to just be like, don't be a fucking idiot when you grow up. But I think I came out alright. Yeah, I mean... Were I, you scared the shit out of yourself when you were a kid? I didn't have a dad. Continue. <laughs> Spark it up. Sing Blaze it. Sing Single dads like me should use all the parenting tools at their disposal. Like a rod, a ruler, a bag of sweet Valencia oranges. He scrunched his face a little. I squinted at him incredulously. He folded his arms. Dad, I'm gay. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, Dad, I'm gay. He also said... I'm ten and I can handle it. He's hand he's old yeah. enough to understand. What's with these stories and hands? What's with these stories and hands and daddies and, and right. Mm, okay, I'll try. I began once upon a time and there was a boy named Colby. His expression indicated that he wasn't impressed with the terror of the introduction. He sighed deep and settled in for one of Dad's cheesy stories, I continued. Colby went online and joined several children's websites. After a while, he started talking to other kids in-game and on the message boards. He made friends with another 10-year-old boy named Helper123. What kind of a fucking name is that? <laughs> they liked the same video games and shows. They laughed at each other's jokes. They explored new games together. With their bodies. There's just too much gay shit right now. <laughs> After several months of friendship, Colby gave help a one, two, three, six diamonds in a game they were playing fucking Minecraft. Diamonds are a girl's best, best friend. friend. It's actually my dick. This was a very generous gift. Colby's birthday was coming up, and help a one, two, three wanted to send him one of a, those cool presents that you have in real life, the life that matters. Colby figured it wouldn't hurt to give help a one, two, three, his home address. As long as he promised not to tell any strangers the grown-ups. <laughs> Good thing help a 23 was actually Bill Cosby. Bob Zimadow. I just want to sex with <laughs> Helper one, two, three swore he wouldn't tell anybody else, not even his own parents, and set about mailing the package. 
I paused door and asked my son, do you think it was a good idea? No, he said, shaking his head vigorously. In spite of himself, he was getting into the story. Well, neither did Colby. Colby felt guilty about giving away his home address. His guilt began to grow and grow. And by the time he put on his big boy pants, the next sight, his guilt and fear were larger than anything else in his life. He resolved to admit the truth to his parents. The punishment would be steep, but it was worth it to have a clear conscience. He squirmed in his bed as he waited for his parents to tuck him in. My son knew the scary part was coming up. In spite of his tough talk, he leaned forward wide-eyed. I spoke quietly and deliberately. He heard all the noises of the house. He was washing machine bounced around in the laundry room. Branches scraped against the brick outside his room. His baby brother cooed in the nursery. Help! 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 I'm in the nursery! And there were some other noises he couldn't quite pinpoint. Oh yeah! Coming from his parents' bedroom. Finally, his dad's footsteps echoed down to the hall. Hey, Dad, he called nervously. I have something to tell you. I'm trying to fucking master you! <laughs> his dad stuck his head into the doorway at a weed angle. Because I'm trying to fucking master you. <laughs> In the darkness, his mouth didn't seem to move and his eyes were all wrong. Yes, son? The voice was way too off. Are you okay, Dad? The boy asked. Uh-huh. Snugged the father in his strangely affected voice. Colby pulled his covers up defensively. Um, is mom around? Here I am. Mom's head popped into the doorway below Dad's. A voice was unnatural falsetto. Were you about to tell us that you gave us a home address to head for one, two, three? <laughs> you shouldn't have done that. We told you never to give out your personal information on the internet. She knows what's up, though. She, but you know why? <laughs> Those tax collectors, man. They'll find you. Because she has racked up an extreme amount of gambling credit, debt. I was going to say credit card debt. And gambling. She continued. You need the falsetto voice. He wasn't really a kid. He just pretended to be one. Do you know what he did? He came to our house, broke in, and murdered both of us. Just so he could spend some time with you. A fat man in a wet jacket emerged to the child's doorway, holding both severed heads. Kobe <laughs> shrieked and gasped as the man dropped the heads on the ground, unsheathed his knife, and moved into the room to work on the boy. No, no, is your boy no is here? <laughs> <laughs> My son screamed too. He twisted his hands defensively over his face. We were just getting started with the story. After several hours, the boy, almost dead in his screams, had become whimpers. The killer noticed the wailing of the baby in another room and removed his knife from Colby. Special treat. He had never murdered a baby before and was excited about the prospect. Helper 123 left Colby to die and followed the cries through the house like a homing beacon in, in the nursery. He walked to the crib, picked up the baby, and held it in his arms. 
He moved towards the changing table to get a better look. But as he held the baby, the crying died down, and the baby looked up and smiled. Helper 123 had never held a baby, but he gently bounced it in his arms. He wiped his bloody hands on the blanket so he could stroke the baby's cheek. Not the only thing he's gonna stroke! <laughs> Godspeed, Spider-Man. Ah. He there, sweet. Oh God. Hey, hey, hey there. <laughs> he there, eh? Sweet little <laughs> guy. <laughs> In rage of sadism, melted into something warmer and softer. He walked out of the nursery to comb the baby, named him William, and raised him as his very own. After I finished the story, my son was visibly shaken between ragged staccato breath. But Dad, my name's William. I gave him a classic dad wink and tussled his hair. Of course it is, son. William ran up the stairs to his bedroom in a fury of sobs. But deep down, I think he liked the story. His dad just, like, come out as a murderer to his son with this story? I don't, you know what, I don't, it wasn't Have just, you ever wondered why you don't look like me and mom? It's because I murdered your entire family. Uh, how, how do you feel right now, Franz McBoohoo? On the record? On the record. You look pretty fucking fantastic. Yeah, drugs. Yeah. We're not allowed to do them. They're illegal. Don't do drugs. Dare. Definitely don't do drugs and drink. Dueling dragons, I used to call it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm riding six right now. Did I ever explain this analogy to you? Dueling no. dragons? Nope. Each substance you take is like riding a mythical beast. A dragon. You, it's quite untamed. It always takes you on some kind of weird journey. You know, this is a metaphor. When you start trying to tame more than one dragon at once, because they're wild and it gets hard to handle holding more than one. So when you when you smoke a little bit of something and then drink a little bit of something, you get pretty turnt. Sometimes you come out not on top. But the mother of dragons has three. That's why Khaleesi is the exception. So this, she can four twenty plays it and drink and drink and, and, and then probably shoot heroin. And she roll. probably shoots. She probably shoots. Probably easier, right? <laughs> like, okay, last last story. Oh, aren't you glad? I didn't say banana. No, it's just called "Aren't You Glad." It's banana. <laughs> Nothing to do with fruit. Manja, manja. She commandeered the room in the basement of her dorm as soon as she realized she would have to pull an all-nighter in order to prepare for tomorrow's final exam. Her roommate, Jenna liked to get to bed early, so she packed up everything she thought she would need and, and went downstairs to study, and study, and study some more. It was two o'clock when she realized that she'd left one of her textbooks upstairs on her bed. With a dramatic sigh, she rose and climbed the stairs slowly to her third floor dorm room. The lights were dim in the long hallway and the old boards creaked under her weary tread. She reached her room and turned the handle as softly as she could, pushing the door open just enough to slip inside so that the hall lights wouldn't wake her roommate. The room was filled with a strange metallic smell. She frowned a bit, her arms breaking out into chills. There was a strange feeling of malice in the 
room, as if a malevolent gaze were fixed upon her. It was a mind trick. The all-nighter was catching up with her. She could hear Jenna breathing on the far side of the room, a heavy sound, almost as if she had been running. (sighs) I sleep like that. I sleep like I'm running a marathon. Jenna must have picked up a cold during the last tense week before finals. She crept along the wall until she reached her bed, groping among the covers for the stray history textbook. In the silence, she could hear a steady drip, drip, drip sound. She sighed silently. Facilities would have to come to fix the sink in the bathroom again. Her fingers closed on the textbook, she picked it up softly and withdrew from the room as silently as she could. Relieved to be out of the room, she hurried back downstairs, collapsed into an overstuffed chair, and studied until six o'clock. She finally decided that enough was enough. If she slipped upstairs now, she could get a couple hours of sleep before her nine o'clock exam. The first of the sun's rays were beaming through the windows as she slowly slid the door open, hoping not to awaken Jenna. Her nose was met by an earthy, metallic smell a second before her eyes registered the scene in her dorm room. Jenna was spread eagle on top of her bed against the far wall, her throat cut from ear to ear, and her nightdress stained with blood. Two drops of blood fell from the saturated blanket with a drip, drip noise that sounded like a leaky faucet. Scream after scream poured from her mouth, but she couldn't stop herself any more than she could cease wringing her hands. All along the hallway, doors slammed and footsteps came running down the passage. Within moments, other students had gathered in her doorway, and one of her friends gripped her arm with a shaking hand and pointed a trembling finger toward the wall. Her eyes widened in shock at what she saw, then she fainted into her friend's arms. On the wall above her bed, written in her roommate's blood, were the words, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? Aren't you glad? You didn't say banana. Aren't you glad banana banana? <laughs> I prefer our ending. You know, you know, here, here, raise, raise a glass or a bowl. <laughs> raise a bowl. Or a banana. We're going to raise drinks. Whoop. That's the sound of our drinks. <laughs> oh, wow. So that rounds out the first episode of... Lots of pasta, where we read creepy pastas. And eat Italian cuisine. And eat a lot of fucking Italian food, which we Lots actually... Lots of spaghetti. Lots of spaghetti.